Welcome to the Water Margin Podcast. This is episode 110. Last time, Marshal Gao Qiu set about building a fleet and a navy for the third time in his quest to vanquish the outlaws of Liangshan. Despite some harassment from the outlaws at his shipyard, he managed to build 300-some large and small vessels powered by paddle wheels, designed specifically to navigate the marsh around Liangshan. Gao Qiu then staged a demonstration, where he and his officers were all wowed by their new toys. After offering sacrifices to the water gods, Gao Qiu and his men all boarded the ships, along with the singing and dancing girls that he had brought with him from the capital when he set out on this campaign. They threw a huge feast on the ships while watching their soldiers show off their skills. As the ships glided across the water, music and songs blared from the deck. They partied deep into the night and slept on the ships. Then they woke up and partied some more the next day. And the next day. The feast went on for three straight days, and they were having such a good time that they did not want to get off the ships. Suddenly, a party-crashing report arrived. Apparently, the bandits had posted a poem on a temple inside the Jizhou prefectural seat, and somebody had brought it to Gao Qiu. Now, depending on which version of the novel you're reading, the first couple lines of this poem are different. In the 100-chapter version, it goes, We will capture Yang Jian and Gao Qiu and mop up the prefectures of the Central Plain. Even if you have 10,000 giant ships, in the marsh they will all perish in vain. But in the 120-chapter version, the first couple lines rub it in Gao Qiu's face even more. That version goes something like this. Gao Qiu that good for nothing got his break, neglecting his duties on the water he does entertain. Even if you have 10,000 giant ships in the marsh, they will all perish in vain. Now personally, I like that second version better, but Gao Qiu did not care for either version. In fact, he flew into a rage after reading it and declared, If I don't exterminate all these bandits, I swear I will not retreat. His strategist, Wen Huanzhang, advised him to calm down. Marshal, please check your thunderous rage for the moment, he said. Those bandits must be afraid. That's why they wrote this trash talk. It's of no concern. Just wait a few days. Once our army and navy are ready, we will have plenty of time to attack. Right now, it's the height of winter. Yet, the weather is mild. That is thanks to His Majesty's good fortune and Your Excellency's prowess. That little bit of bootlicking appeased Gao Qiu, and he returned to the prefectural seat to discuss how to deploy his forces. So, Liangshan had been surrounded on all sides by the marsh, but recently, Song Jiang had constructed a road leading to the front of the mountain. This was the only land route to and from the bandit stronghold. So Gao Qiu now sent a couple of his commandants to lead an army of 10,000 to block that road in case any bandits tried to come down the mountain that way. Then, Gao Qiu himself, along with all his other commandants, generals, and lieutenants, as well as strategist Wen and the shipbuilder, Ye Chun, would all board the ships and advance through the marsh. But strategist Wen told him, Commander, you should stay on land and oversee the army's advance. You must not lead the fleet and put yourself in danger. It's fine, Gao Qiu said. In the last two engagements, we lost tons of men and ships because I did not have capable commanders to oversee the fleet. Now that we have built such great ships, if I don't personally oversee the fleet, how can we capture those bandits? This time, I must settle the score with those outlaws. 
Not another word from you. With that command, Strategist Wen did not dare to say anything else and just followed Gao Qiu onto the ships. Gao Qiu dispatched 30 large ships to serve as the vanguard, commanded by two commandants and Qiu Yue, one of the two generals who came here as reinforcement. He then assigned 50 small ships to go in front of the vanguard to chart the course, and these were commanded by another commandant and Ye Chun, the guy who oversaw the ship construction. On the prow of each ship, they erected two large red banners which said, Royal the seas, stir the rivers and churn the waves, pacify the realm, protect the state, and vanquish the demons. In the center of the fleet, Gao Qiu, strategist wind, and a whole host of officers kept watch over about 50 ships, brimming with banners, canopies, and weapons. But even now, Gao Qiu had to bring his singers and dancers along. You know, priorities. Meanwhile, two more commandants oversaw the rear of the fleet. It was the middle of the 11th month of the year when they set out. The army advanced first, and then the navy's vanguard wheeled out, with its three commanding officers watching from the prow of their ships. As they advanced, they deployed the small ships to block the small waterways that connected to the main thoroughfare to guard against any surprise attacks, while the large ships glided along the main channel. As they ventured deep into the marsh, they saw a cluster of boats approaching from the distance. Each boat carried about 15 people, all wearing light armor. The three boats in the front each carried a white banner that said, The Three Heroes of the Ran Clan. These were the three Ran brothers. From the distance, it looked as though they and their men were all wearing shimmering gold and silver armor. But in reality, their armor was just gold and silver paper that had been glued on. The three vanguard commanders of the Imperial Navy saw this bandit fleet approaching and immediately ordered their ships to let fly with various fiery projectiles. But the Ran brothers showed no fear as they approached. As soon as they came within reach of the Imperial Navy's shots, however, the bandits all dove into the water and disappeared. Having captured three empty boats, the Imperial Vanguard pressed on. They had not gone a mile when they saw three more fast boats approaching with the wind at their back, each carrying a dozen or so men, with their bodies covered in blue, yellow, and red powder. Their hair was hanging loose, and they were whistling as they approached. These three boats were led by the chieftains Meng Kang, the Jade Flagpole, and the two Tong brothers, Tong Wei, the Cave Emerging Dragon, and Tong Meng, the River Churning Clam. Once again, the Imperial Vanguard let loose with its fiery projectiles, and once again, the bandit chieftains quickly abandoned ship and swam away. So, the Imperial Navy captured three more empty boats and continued. Another mile later, three more boats approached, again each carrying a dozen or so bandits. These were led by Li Jun, the River Dragon, and the Zhang brothers, Zhang Heng, the Boat Flame, and Zhang Xun, the White Streak in the Waves. As they approached, they shouted to the Imperial Navy, Thank you for delivering these ships to our marsh! The vanguard commanders were in no mood to joke around, and immediately ordered their men to fire arrows. Once again, the three chieftains dove into the water. Nobody on the Imperial ships entertained thoughts of chasing them into the water, especially not in the middle of winter. Just then, a string of cannon shots blasted out from the top of the mountain, and hundreds of small boats shot out from the reeds all around the Imperial Navy, 
flying across the water like a flock of locusts. Each boat carried about five people and some unknown cargo. The Imperial Navy tried to ram these little boats with their big ships, but were easily outmaneuvered. Then, when the big ships tried to power up their paddle wheels, they found that the wheels were all stuck. As it turns out, the bandits had mounted numerous obstructions at the bottom of this stretch of the marsh, and wheels on the big ships were jammed against these obstructions. Meanwhile, even though the archers on the big ships' towers kept firing, the bandits on the little boats easily blocked their shots with bamboo shields. And now, the small bandit boats closed in on the big ships. A barrage of grappling hooks flew through the air and took hold of the ship's tillers. At the same time, the bandits started hacking at the soldiers who were peddling the boats with their knives. Soon, dozens of bandits had boarded the Imperial ships. The Imperial Navy tried to retreat, but its path was blocked. Just as the front of the Imperial fleet was descending into chaos, the rear of the fleet also started shouting. Marshal Gao Chiu and strategist Wen were on a ship in the center of the fleet. When they heard all hell breaking loose, they tried to flee onto land. But just then, they heard the thunderous sound of drums echoing from the reeds, and their soldiers started yelling, The ship is leaking! Sure enough, water started pouring into the cabins of numerous ships, and the vessels started sinking one after another. This was the doing of the chieftain Zhang Shun, the white streak in the waves. After he jumped off his own boat, he and a gang of skilled swimmers dove underwater and used hammers and chisels to puncture the hulls of the imperial vessels. Now, as his fleet was going under, Marshal Gao could see all the small bandit boats flocking toward his ship like a swarm of ants. He climbed onto the tower of his ship and cried for help from the rear of his fleet. Suddenly, a man leaped out from the water and climbed up to the tower, saying, Marshal, I'll save you! Gao Chu took a look, but did not recognize this man. Before he could react, the guy had grabbed him with two hands, yelled, Down you go! and chucked him into the marsh. This was none other than Zhang Shun, and as soon as Gao Chu splashed down, two small bandit boats flew over and yanked him out of the water. While Gao Chu was busy getting himself captured, his vanguard was engulfed in chaos. One of the vanguard commanders, the general Qiu Yue, hurriedly looked for a way out, but before he could flee, the chieftain Yang Lin, the multicolored leopard, caught him off guard and cut him down, sending his corpse into the water. The other two vanguard commanders came forward to attack Yang Lin, but soon found themselves swarmed by a host of other chieftains, and both were easily captured alive. As the Imperial Navy was being wiped out for the third time, the Imperial Army had its hands full as well. Gao Chu had dispatched his army to go guard the only road leading to and from Liangshan. But the bandits sent an army led by their number two, Lu Junyi, the Jade Qilin, to remove this roadblock. After some prerequisite trash talk, Lu Junyi traded blows with one of the army's commanders, Zhou Ang. They fought for 20-some bouts without a winner, but then a swarm of bandits sprang out from hiding, led by the chieftains Guan Sheng the Great Saber, Qin Ming the Fiery Thunderbolt, Lin Chong the Pantherhead, and Hu Yanzhuo the Twin Staffs. The generals and commandants leading the imperial army were no match for this onslaught, and they all fled back to Jizhou Prefecture and hid inside the city while sending out scouts to see what happened to their navy and their boss.
back in the marsh, Song Jiang, having captured Marshal Gao, immediately ordered Dai Zong the Magic Traveler to send word to all the bandits that they were not to harm any Imperial soldiers, or, well, any more Imperial soldiers anyway. They did, however, capture Gao Chu's strategist, Wen Huan Zhang, as well as his troop of singers and dancers, and then they all returned to base. Song Jiang and the rest of the Liangshan hive mind were waiting in the Hall of Loyalty and Honor when the chieftain Zhang Shun brought in a dripping wet Gao Chiu. As soon as Song Jiang saw this, he rushed from his seat to help steady Gao Chiu and order his men to bring the prisoner a fresh change of clothes. He then asked Gao Chiu to take the center seat while he kneeled and kowtowed. Oh man, you gonna pull that routine with this guy? Seriously? This guy? We deserve death, Song Jiang said as he continued to kowtow. Gao Chiu hurriedly returned the courtesy, but Song Jiang told Wu Yong and Gongsun Sheng to help him to his feet. They bowed to him again, and then asked him to sit. Song Jiang then told Yan Qing, the prodigy, to send out word to all the bandits. Anyone who kills another person will be punished severely. Soon, a parade of prisoners were brought in, including a number of captured commandants, as well as the heads of a few dead ones who were killed in action before the no-kill order went out. You know, the static was so bad on this end that we really couldn't make out what the order was, so, eh, too bad. Among the slain was Qiu Yue, one of the generals sent to provide reinforcements, and Ye Chun, the guy who gave Gao Chiu the brilliant idea of building these paddle wheel ships. The only guys who got away were the four officers commanding the army. Song Jiang ordered that all the prisoners be given a fresh change of clothes, and then invited them all back to the hall to sit down and be slain with kindness. All the imperial soldiers that were captured were released back to Jizhou Prefecture. The singers and dancers were put on a nice ship and put under protection. Then it was party time. Song Jiang threw a huge feast to reward his troops. He also assembled all the chieftains to come pay their respects to Gao Chiu, which I can only imagine delighted them all to no end. After some no doubt awkward greetings, Song Jiang had Wu Yong and Gongsun Sheng hold a bottle of wine and pour, Lu Junyi stand in attendance, and he personally offered a cup of wine to Gao Chiu, saying, I am a lowly magisterial clerk and convict. How would I ever dare to rebel against the imperial court? It's just that I had too many offenses piled up, and thus had no choice but to act as I did. Even though we were twice honored by His Majesty's benevolence, there was some wicked villainy at work each time that corrupted the mission. It's impossible to explain. I pray that Your Excellency will exercise compassion and help save us from this trap. If we can see the sky again, Your kindness will be engraved on my bones, and I will repay you with my life. Even as Song Jiang was saying all this, Gao Chu could see that everybody else was pretty pissed, including some old personal enemies like Lin Chong the Pantherhead and Yang Zhi the Blue-Faced Beast, who looked like they were about to start something. Song Jiang, don't worry, Gao Chu said. When I return to court, I will definitely inform the emperor and ask him to grant you amnesty, reward you handsomely, and give you official posts. All you men of honor will enjoy the emperor's favor and become respectable officials. Song Jiang was delighted, even if nobody else was. He bowed to thank Gao Chiu and then threw a banquet to welcome him. The novel said all the chieftains took their turn offering toasts to Gao Chiu, but I'm more inclined to read that as all the chieftains were compelled to offer toasts to Gao Chiu. Either way, 
Gao Chu got stinking drunk and started running his mouth. I learned how to wrestle in my youth, and I have no equal in the land, he boasted. Well, Lu Junyi was also getting tipsy, and when he heard that, he pointed to Yan Qing the prodigy and said, That brother of mine also knows how to wrestle. He has competed in major tournaments three times and has no equal. Gao Chu now stood up, removed his robe, and challenged Yan Qing to a wrestling match. Now, all the chieftains were just humoring Gao Chu and letting him run his mouth because, hey, the boss told us to behave. But now this scumbag was challenging Yan Qing to a wrestling match? I mean, he was practically begging for a butt whooping. And you can't say no to the VIP, right? So everybody now chimed in and said, yeah, let's see a wrestling match. Song Jiang was also too drunk to push back, so he just went with it. Gao Chiu and Yan Qing now both removed their shirts. Song Jiang ordered men to put down some soft padding on the floor of the hall, and the two contestants squared off. Gao Chiu charged at Yan Qing, but Yan Qing quickly grabbed him, and with one move, threw him to the ground so hard that Gao Chiu could not get up for a good while. Song Jiang and Lu Junyi hurriedly helped Gao Chiu to his feet, and helped him get dressed, and they joked, Marshal, you're drunk, so how can you win a wrestling match? Please, don't get mad. Forgive us. Gao Chiu had learned his lesson, and now he just kept his mouth shut. They resumed drinking, and went deep into the night before they retired. The next day, Song Jiang threw another feast to put Gao Chiu at ease, but Gao Chiu now asked to take his leave. We have no ulterior motives in keeping your excellency here, Song Jiang said. If we did, may heaven and earth smite us. Heroes, Gao Chu said, if you can let me go back to the capital, I will vouch for you to the emperor on the lives of my entire family. I guarantee that I will convince him to grant you amnesty and to put your talents to good use for the state. If I go back on my words, heaven and earth shall not tolerate me, and I will be riddled by spears and arrows. More than a few guys in attendance were probably eager to help Gao Chu with that last part, but Song Jiang continued to play the obsequious card. He bowed and thanked Gao Chu, who then told him, If you don't believe me, you can keep my officers here as hostages. So now, there were probably a few more guys in attendance who were ready to riddle Gao Chu with spears and arrows, but Song Jiang told him, Marshal, how would a man of high rank such as yourself go back on your word? There is no need to leave your officers as hostages. Allow us to prepare horses and saddles and send you all back to your base. In that case, you have my sincere thanks, and I will take my leave of you right now, Gao Chiu quickly replied. But Song Jiang tried time and again to keep him longer, and they threw another big feast in his honor. This went on for three more days, and on the third day, Gao Chiu insisted on leaving, and Song Jiang finally relented, and there was a going-away party, where he presented Gao Chiu with several thousand taels of gold as a going-away present. All the other captured officers were also presented with fancy gifts. Gao Chiu and company tried to decline, but could not. And so, they also reluctantly pocketed all that gold and silver. As they drank, Song Jiang once again brought up the matter of amnesty. Gao Chiu told him, Hero, you can send a smart man to go with me. I will take him to see the emperor, so that he can inform his majesty about your true story, and that will make it easier to get a decree of amnesty. Song Jiang wanted amnesty oh so badly, so he and Wu Yong discussed and decided to send two chieftains with Gao Chiu. These were Xiao Rang, the sacred-handed scholar, 
and Yue He, the Iron Whistle, two of the more respectable-looking chieftains. Gao Chu now said, Since you're entrusting me with this, I will leave strategist Wen here as a sign of my sincerity. Song Jiang was delighted, and I can only imagine strategist Wen going, ah, crap, in his head. In any case, the next day, Song Jiang and Wu Yong, along with 20-some riders, escorted Gao Chu and company down the mountain, sailed across the marsh, and saw them off for another 6 or 7 miles before parting ways. Song Jiang then returned to base to await good news. Okay, so that was probably as anticlimactic a sequence as you could imagine. What with our heroes finally getting their hands on the guy who had done so many of them so wrong? I mean, Lin Chong in particular would probably have liked nothing more than to cut out Gao Chu's heart and eat it raw. But all we got from the novel was one line saying that he looked pissed. This always felt like a missed opportunity for drama. In fact, in the TV shows based on the novel, there was always some huge blow-up between Lin Chong and Song Jiang over this. But in the novel, this was barely a thing, which is just disappointing. Anyway, Gao Qiu and his officers now slinked back to Jizhou Prefecture, where the four officers who escaped the debacle, along with Prefect Zhang, welcomed him back. Gao Qiu stayed in the city for a few days, regrouped his army, and told his commandants to lead their respective troops and return to their posts and await future orders. Gao Qiu then led the main army and headed back to the capital, along with the chieftains Xiao Rang and Yue He. Back on Liangshan, Song Jiang was discussing the situation with his chieftains. He said, I don't know if Gao Qiu will actually make good on his word. Uh, you don't know if he will actually make good on his word? The strategist Wu Yong laughed and was like, dude, are you serious? In my view, Wu Yong said, this man has the eyes of a wasp and the countenance of a snake. He is the kind of ingrate who will forget your kindness as soon as he turns around. He lost a ton of troops and squander a lot of provisions. When he returns to the capital, he will no doubt pretend to be sick and stay home, and try to keep this news from the emperor while his troops rest. He will keep Xiao Rang and Yue He effectively under house arrest in his home. Waiting for amnesty would be futile. What then? Song Jiang asked. We can't get an amnesty, and two of our brothers are now trapped. Brother, send another two sharp chieftains to the capital with lots of gold to conduct recon, Wu Yong suggested. They can find an opportunity to report our intentions to the emperor. Then, Marshal Gao would not be able to keep this under wraps. That's the best course of action. Yan Qing the prodigy now rose and said, Last year, when we caused a ruckus in the capital, I was the one who made the connection with the courtesan Li Shishi. After the mess we caused, she probably could guess who we were, but she's the emperor's lover, so he would never suspect her. She probably just told him that we caused a ruckus at her house to scare the emperor because we knew he would be there. Let me go see her again with lots of gold and jewels. Pillow talk is the quickest way to get to the emperor. I can act as the situation dictates and capitalize on any opportunities. Okay, but you might run into danger, Song Jiang cautioned. Dai Zong the magic traveler volunteered to go with Yan Qing. Meanwhile, Zhu Wu, the associate strategist, reminded Song Jiang of another connection they had in the capital. Brother, when you were attacking Huazhou Prefecture, you did a favor for Marshal Su, Zhu Wu said. He's a good-hearted man. If we can get him to speak to the emperor in our favor, 
that could also succeed. So, in case you forgot, this Marshal Su was on his way to offer sacrifices at a temple in Huazhou Prefecture as commanded by the emperor. The favor that Song Jiang and company did for him was to hijack his ship, borrow his regalia so that the bandits could disguise themselves as government envoys, catch the local authorities off guard, slaughter them all, and bust two of their own chieftains out of prison. And then they gave the marshal all his stuff back, said thanks for the loan, and left him to clean up the mess and explain what happened to the emperor. So, um, yeah, I'm sure that guy is just dying to repay your favor. But Song Jiang now also remembered one of the lines of divine prophecy that he received from his run-in with the goddess. It said, happiness will follow when you find lodging, in which the character for lodging was the same as the character in Marshal Su's last name. So maybe this was worth looking into. To see how many favors the bandits would need to call in to get a little FaceTime with the emperor, tune in to the next episode of the Water Margin podcast. Also on the next episode, Yan Qing gets a little one-on-one time with the emperor's main squeeze. So join us next time. Thanks for listening.